So uh, we are, uh, we, we, we in a, this, this series is, is, is called Unoffendable, Unoffendable, and it's a six video series, and we're like three or four, we're about four weeks into it. We took a Thanksgiving break, and we've looked at one video so far, and that's because then it took us like, I think three weeks to really struggle through what that one video had, but it was a worthy struggle, so no apologies for that. We are going to make it into video number two tonight. And then maybe even work our way into video number three, but um, we'll see. And then and then we got the Christmas break. Uh, I will be here on those Wednesdays of Christmas break, and the faithful will also be here. So, you know, we'll be taking a two-Wednesday two break at the end of the year. So, just, just, I think most of us have been in this class before. Oh, no, there are a couple of newbies here, two or three. What, what, are, we, what are we shooting for? What, what do we mean? What's our goal? The goal is to be unoffendable according to what this video series, and we've actually found a lot of good biblical definitions. What are we shooting for? What are we trying to head towards? What is it we want to see happen in our lives? Who can put it in your own words? That's our pop quiz for tonight. Jeanette? I'd say where it becomes a lifestyle, where you're just kind of naturally less offendable than you used. Develop a lifestyle where you're less offendable, okay? What are we shooting for? Because we're still using that word. Let's, let's pull away. Let's try to even not even use that word if we can. Better define it. Be more like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. <laughs> perfect answer. What, we, what would we expect from Betty? Yours was perfect too, though, Jeanette. Okay. <laughs> Don't you love it? When, oh, that's a great answer. You're my favorite, Tim. <laughs> Tim. Um, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you like that? <laughs> to not hold on to anger. To not hold on to anger. He makes that a big is a big point there. It's going to come, but let's got to get rid of it. Really clear in scripture. Benita? So that we would be unified in love. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's a very biblical phrase you got there, to be unified in love. So yes. we wanna be we wanna be not such a overly hypersensitive people that we get so easily offended that we're dividing and bickering, but somehow we're learning to be united in love and get along. Other other It's not all about me. It's not all about Fred. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for making that real clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. It's like that, that's one of, one of the causes of offense is that everything is about me. Maybe it's not, so don't take it like it is. Other expressions or words or things. Gracious. Learning to be, oh, that's a great way of saying it. Learning to be gracious. Um, uh, harnessing our, um, these are some, these are some quotes I've got from him and from the book or the video. There is a book that accompanies this video. There are two books. Is harnessing our anger, but not not harnessing and holding on to it, but then throwing it out. Learning to forgive, not letting the behavior, the hurts, the wrongs of others bring you down, not letting anger towards others consume you, not responding and acting towards others out of sensitivity and anger. And so you hear the words forgiveness and anger a lot. So that's really really what we're what we're dealing with and that's very relevant we have a very hypersensitive nation and culture and we have in the church world we lit we are living he says in an anger incubator we've embraced the anger culture with a sense of entitlement um 
And he's saying we need to rethink that, and I agree with him. So tonight we're going to. So the first video, the first video, and the first discussion was uh, to get rid of it, get rid of anger. Don't hold on to it. Don't think that you're entitled to it. We saw some scriptures last week. It was very interesting to me, at least it was, that God has allowed what we're not in that sense. Um, so, but it's one thing to say, stop it. Don't do that. <laughs> then how do you not, you know, how, and, and it's like, it's not like, I mean, it's just a, like, it's, it's an emotion that comes my way. How do, how do I not, how do I, what do I, what do you do? How do you do that? Um, and so he's going to move into some hows. He says, you can choose to be unoffendable. Okay. I choose to be unoffendable, but well, how, how do you, well, you got to have a, a basis of how you do that. So tonight, in the video, he's going to move into telling us how he's already been touching on it. So you're going to hear a little bit of repeat tonight in the video. Here's what I want you to look for. A reason I give you the pieces of paper and pens, and if you don't have a pen, you need it. And there's not enough pieces of paper for everybody, but you can kind of split them up or whatever it takes some tear them off. Is is you came in, I've already said this once, but I'll say it one more time, is that I'm going to ask you, okay, what did you learn? What stood out to you? What questions do you have? And um, especially... What are the major points that he has? And I found one, two, I think I found four, all right? Um, when I watched it the first time, I found one, and I watched it the second time, I found four. So what are the main things? How, how do we choose to be unoffendable? How do we choose not to respond to others in anger, but in graciousness, uh, as, as was mentioned? So that's what we're going to do. So take notes, because the thing is, I don't want to say, what did he say? And you go, oh, what was he saying? You can take notes as we go. And we're going to leave the lights on, because it's hard to take notes when the lights are off. It, we, we could see him better, but that's just not going to happen with taking notes. So let's do this. Let's see. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go up. I'm going to go here. <coughs> Oh, and I don't. I still don't understand why he starts each video with going into some antique used salvage store. But I think because he brings those props to his show. Uh, we're actually up here, we're there, and the volume's coming in two places. So don't work too hard to try to figure out what this is about, because I had to figure it out. My vision, I know it's kind of weird, but I need three Pillsbury Doughboys. No, four. I know it sounds strange, but I don't know if I'll ever find them, honestly. I certain that cowboy needs can be met in this area, and giant rabbit in the dress. It's fun. I like this a lot. to the shoplift this gavel just for the irony. <laughs> I'm not going to, but it's good as tempting. I'm not going to. I'm going to need one more thing. What can I get? Oh, yeah. Excuse me. I, I am ready to render judgment. <laughs>
so glad we get to talk about this subject. I have to acknowledge something off the bat, though. They told me when we were doing this video, like, they, they warned me, don't bring a clothes that are too dark or clothes that have patterns. And I failed, so I had to swap shirts with someone in the audience. So I want to thank Micah. Give it for Micah. So, this is his shirt. It's awesome. Thank you. It's beautiful, I feel. So, um, thank you. So I want to talk about something that's so core to living an undefendable life. This refreshing life we've been talking about, what it means to actually practice this radical forgiveness, and that is understanding who humans actually are and who we have been since the very beginning, and to quit being shocked by everything that happens. Because people are in constant shock. It's amazing. Constantly in shock. I can't believe somebody did this. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe, really? Can't. I hear that about people you know, talk about their mom or dad. I can't believe my dad said that. I cannot believe. Like, how long has your dad been saying stuff like that? 57 years. Okay, well, now it's time to go ahead and believe that your dad says stuff like that. Because that's how humans are. We live in constant shock. And you even hear people talk about their boss. I can't believe my boss. Like, you can't? Or can you? Like, this is the way we really are. Adam and Eve had two boys. How'd that go? Like, one killed the other one. This is part of who we are. I hate it. It's not like it makes it okay, but I just don't want to live in shock at the way the world is. People get in shock in traffic. Can't believe that guy just cut me off. Can you believe? Have you ever driven before? Because this happens a lot. Like, it's one of those things we have to begin to understand is the human heart. And God loves us dearly. But we are messed up. There's a scripture, actually. I thought this was so fascinating. It's Jesus was with his disciples, and I think this happens in a couple places, actually, but it says Jesus knew what they were what they were thinking. No one had to tell Jesus what men were like. It actually says that in Scripture. Nobody had to tell him. He knew. He knows what we're like. And it wasn't a flattering. Like, he knows that we're awesome. And I'm not saying that as a guilt trip to me or you or anything. It's just more acknowledging reality and then start living in that reality so that we're not constantly shocked at the state of man. We don't want to be that way all the time. And once you do that, this is what's so wonderful about it. You can start to make friends with people because you know they're going to be broken. And you're not going to be scandalized anymore. A lot of people, I think you grow up, if you grow up in church culture, for instance, you think you're supposed to be scandalized by people when you find out that they're big sinners. But when you adopt this point of view, you actually won't be scandalized anymore by anybody. There's nothing they can do now because they already know we're messed up. And that's wild because people actually will start to want to hang around with you because you're the least judgmental person they know. Isn't that something? Shouldn't Christians be the most unoffendable people on the planet, because we're the ones who actually know how the human heart works. We're the ones who shouldn't be scandalized constantly. What's interesting about that, it's fun thinking you're the judge of everybody for a little while, and then it's really burdensome, because that's a lot of work, just to spend that kind of time trying to assess everybody else's spiritual temperature. You don't know their spiritual temperature. Quit trying to assess it. You don't know your own. You don't know what, what motivates other people. You don't even know. This is the, the scripture that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't get memorized very often, but it's so good. He said, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I'm not a good judge of other people. I can't even judge my own motives. I can't even judge myself. Paul's saying this. I don't even know. We're all a mixed bag, aren't we? There's stuff I do that looks really impressive to people on a Christian level, because I work with medical missions and stuff, and that, that can look really great, but part of it is just, I think it's cool. I enjoy going to other countries. I enjoy seeing stuff. I like that people associate me with this awesome work. Like, there's a lot of mixed motives, but I don't have to sort through all of that. I just go, God, just help me. <laughs> Let me be a blessing to people. I don't need to weigh all my motives, all your motives, all the time. I don't know. So there's a humility about this that's very freeing. And once you're that way, you become very compelling. I use her as an example. I'm going to I'm gonna change her name, but we had a, a next-door neighbor. We lived in a very tight, urban setting. And our next-door neighbor was determined to scandalize the Christians. She knew that we were Christians. And... She just wanted to alarm us. So she wore her like pentagram shirts, like with uh, pagan stuff. And she had all this pagan paraphernalia. And she talked about how she loved to smoke pot all the time. And her boyfriend that she lived with next door, all this. She made a pass at my wife. We never flinched. And each time we could tell, it was almost like a child, like, you still love me now? You still love me now? You still love me now? We just move on to the next thing. It's not going to be shot. Well, she despised Christianity, despised all of that. And then one day, my wife and I were going out to Panera. We were leaving the house. I don't know why that's relevant to this discussion, but I would easy to go to Panera. Um, but we were going out to Panera, and we getting in a car, and we lived right on the street there, so it's just a sidewalk right in front of our front door. And Sarah was out there crying, standing and crying. It was cold out. And my wife said, hang on a second, I'm going to go check in with her. So I'm sitting in the car, and I see them talking. And then I see them hugging for a while. And then Carolyn gets in the car, and she's sniffling. And she said, well, Sarah said that her boyfriend had had a heart attack, and he's in the hospital. And so my wife Carolyn said to her, can I pray with you? And she said, please. Yes. There's something about never leaving. When you're not offended, you hang in there with people, you're not scandalized. They may try to scandalize you, but you just don't, because you know how people's hearts work. I had a friend named Michael who was a very evangelical Christian guy. He would just had a lot of personality. He, was, he talked to people like everybody believed in Jesus, whether they did or not. He was just very overt about it. It was amazing. He bought a building in a downtown area that was just completely not known for like evangelical being there. And the building he bought, he didn't know when he bought it, but they used that building every year for an AIDS fundraiser. And it was a lot of transgressive art that was in this exhibit. And they had always used that building. Well, when someone found out that the evangelical Christian had bought it, he's going to open a coffee house, and a Christian artist, and why not play there? They were like, well, I guess we can't do that anymore. And they very respectfully told him, hey, we used to have the exhibit there, but we're going to, we're going to find some other place for it. And he said, no, you're having it in my coffee house. 
And I, as a friend of Michael, was a little bit scared of a lot of because <laughs> it wasn't the cause. The cause was it was just like all this art that was deliberately provocative and transgressive. And like, aren't we supposed to take a stand against that? I was confused. And no, he hosted it. He didn't protest it. He hosted it. So I went to this exhibit with my wife and we show up and Michael's at the door with his wife. He's wearing a tuxedo. She's wearing like a prom gown and they're giving chocolate, strawberries and champagne to everybody who walks in the door. And they all knew he was an evangelical Christian. He didn't protest them. He gave them chocolate covered strawberries. Something different when you're not scandalized and we don't have to be. We can't control people. It's, it's, it's exhausting to be the judge of the world. But we do it naturally. Everybody does it naturally, but it doesn't make it a good thing. There's a better way to live that Jesus is giving us. It's a lighter way to live. This forgiveness thing is genius. <laughs> it's radical. It's hard. It's excruciating to forgive. And I use the word excruciating deliberately because... You guys may know this if you're into language, but like, what's the root word? It's cross. It's very difficult to forgive. But this is what it means to deny yourself. Every day, you have to deny yourself to say, I'm not going to hold anger against people. I'm going to forgive them because it's not about me. And look what God has done for me. It's so good. We should know this about ourselves, too, because we should learn about the human heart as we grow up. I watched this show called The People's Court growing up. Anybody else see this? Okay. And so people are snickering. It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you're older than I am. So, But it was a great show. I would watch it after school every day, and I learned something on this show uh, I will never forget. I remember specifically the show I saw. People would come towards the judge. It was Judge Wapner. And they'd be introduced, so there'd be the plaintiff and then the defendant. And the host of the show would be like, well, the plaintiff. And they had the music like, dun, dun, dun. And people would come down the aisle thing, they had like this little half door they would move through. I don't know what that was for, by the way. It was like a keep small children out of the courtroom. But they would come through the thing, and I remember this specific case. I'm not making this up. I mean, I saw this with my own eyes. A family, like seven, came in to the people's court. And they introduced them. The plaintiffs say that they went to the defendant's pizza restaurant and they all got food poisoning and they were violently ill for 24 hours and they're suing for $1,500. There's a whole family. And so I'm like, it's all seven of them got sick. Like, why is this even a court case? This is, this is, it's open and shut. Like, this, but there's no defense against this. Like, all seven of them got sick. That's what, and then they introduced the defendant. The defendant says he doesn't even own a restaurant. And has no <laughs> idea what they're talking about. Like, oh, okay. Okay, now it's on. Like, now we got something really interesting going on. And what happened was, it actually turns out that he's, like, related, and they've had this feud going on, but this guy's trying to get money from him or whatever, and then the case was dismissed, and the defendant won. Like, but I thought it was an open and shut case. There's a proverb that actually says... The first to testify always seems right until he's cross-examined. The first to testify always seems right. So this is a reason for humility, because guess who the first to testify is in your own head? It's you. We think we know things we don't. 
Jesus is constantly telling us to humble ourselves so that we can actually entertain the idea that we might be wrong about something. It's very difficult for us to be wrong. You can ask people, are you ever wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm wrong. Really? Give me three examples of when you're wrong. Uh, it's very difficult for us to remember when we're wrong. It's so hard for humans to repent. Jesus actually said, and you remember this, but it, twice he said, if just one of you will repent, all of heaven will throw a party. He was talking to a crowd. Like, if just one of you will repent, like, humble yourself, the heavens go crazy. Like, it's hard for people to do it. But if you do it, it puts you in a place of humility where you actually can forgive people. I have a friend who is very straight-laced, and he is very organized, and he's a baseball announcer, among the things he does. Uh, my friend John... And he dresses just right. He's got a little briefcase and everything's all set up when he shows up at the ballpark. I substitute for him every now and then as a PA announcer. So, you know, you're introducing the batters, like, now oh, batting number four. Well, anyway, he shows up. The scoreboard guy is right there with him, working with him all the time. I showed up to substitute for John a few times. The scoreboard guy was the most profane guy I've ever been around in my entire life. Like, I can handle quite a bit, but like, man, how does John put up with this? He's more like straight laced than I am. And I know he's a believer, John is. So I was just, I was just baffled by that. But I had to substitute several games with this guy. Like, wow, whew, comedy on everything. And then I said, what's it like working with John? So this is my friend who's a believer. I asked the profane guy, and he's like, that guy. So like, let me show you something. And the scoreboard operator guy turns around, and there's a plaque on the wall, and it's of him on the Sports Illustrated cover. He used to pitch in the major leagues. And John had this plaque made from the 70s where he was on the cover and brought it in to honor him. And this guy started tearing up and crying. He's like, John treats everybody the same. Like, that's awesome. I went and told my friend John, like, I, 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 I just heard the best compliment of you you could ever earn. He didn't flinch. John doesn't flinch. This guy feels loved. That's a game changer. It's a very good thing. This is a very good way to live. Uh, this is great to talk about it. I want to challenge you uh, before we go on our next session, between sessions, to, to practice this. Like You can talk about it with the people around you, maybe studying this material too. But actually practice this by going into the day knowing that your boss is going to do stuff like your boss does and your spouse is going to do stuff like he or she does. Or you're gonna, people are people. Um, but you go into that knowing that and not being shocked anymore. In fact, I call traffic forgiveness practice. Because it's actually a very low leverage place where you can go, I forgive this person and that person. And it, the practice helps. But practice it. You can actually start doing that now. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you next. I seriously had that, that ceramic pig. I already had that. I already own an antique. It's 15 bucks. I already, I already have that ceramic pig, and it's worth 15 bucks. So I could open a store like this. LL Cool J. Don't, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Anything to get this shot. This has to happen. Oh my gosh, that was so phenomenal.
They didn't read Chewbacca, too. <laughs> So at, at the end of this, I'd like the pens and the paper back, so uh, just stack it up on the corner chairs. Your input. What the primary lessons, questions, or what stood out to you, what was helpful, what was convicting, what was challenging, what do you not understand? And most of all, I just want to write down, what are the basic points? I think he gave some insight. Okay. Choose to be unoffendable, yeah, but how? And I think he, he said, here's a perspective or, or a way to go about that. Jeff? First point he made was understanding who humans actually are and who have been since the very beginning is core to living an unoffendable life. Yeah, understanding human nature, I guess you could say. And there are many, many, many ways he said that. Don't be shocked when humans act like humans. Uh, I, I actually wrote a longer point that I don't want to write out here. Have a realistic perspective. Hopeful, but realistic on yourself and on others. We'll come back to these. What else? Or you can comment on that as we go. <clears throat> I'm definitely going to come back and comment on that one. Because that one right there, I thought, wow, actually, I've learned that somewhat over the years. Tim? Not being scandalized by people and their behavior, but concerning the field level. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I may have a hard time writing this all down. Uh, expressing love, not being scandalized. Don't flinch. Don't flinch. He said that a couple of times. Basically, he's talking about not being scandalized. Yeah, don't flinch. You know, if somebody does something that would, under normal circumstances, probably make you go, huh, just don't show it to them outwardly. Okay. God loves us, but we're messed up. Sorry? He said, God loves us, but we're messed up. Uh huh. So, understand human nature and understanding our. Human nature, they, yeah. they're messed up. So am I. Yeah. Proverbs 18, the first to testify seems right. And yeah. In our mind, we are the first to testify. Yeah, I thought that was a good point. Yeah, I thought that was a good point. Um, I, I, I define that as, as, actually, I make it number four. In humility, Realize you don't know everything. And that that's really a repeat from last week to somewhat. We talked about that. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Listen and learn rather than impulsively react. That's too much of that going on in our nation and in churches. And humility, realize you don't know everything. And, and and he gave he gave that passage in Proverbs. What is it? Proverbs 18. 18, 17. 
Keith? Well, part of one, he, he says, don't judge. And I think we do judge offense, but we don't have to verbalize them immediately. Yeah, yeah, we see things that are wrong according to our teaching, but we shouldn't judge, uh, come out with those in words. He didn't say that about the words, and I think that's what that means. So that did help me understand why he was in that store and grabbed the gavel on the, that, that was kind of connecting with that, right? Don't think you're the judge with proper judgments. Now, let, let's just clarify. The Bible does give us the responsibility to make judgments within the church. But then Jesus says, don't judge. But he's talking about the things you do yourself. But these are, these are people who, I know you, I know your heart, and this is what's happening, and therefore I'm offended. That, that's, that's what he means by that. Because in the book of... Uh, First Corinthians, he says, okay, wait a minute, this is going on. We need to make a judgment on this. Uh, but also in First Corinthians Don't 5, think you're the judge. I, I, let me, don't think you're the judge with, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was, my I was mind. Because you were there at First Corinthians 5, 12. Right. Not judging outside the church. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's there's a place, because people say, we're not supposed to judge. Well, what, what do we mean by that passage? That means is that, something, doesn't it? Is that why church people are so judgmental? Huh? That's why we can be judgmental. That's Inside exactly the church. Right. Good. You should. That's a good point there. You're right on it. Tim? So I, I thought it was interesting when he was talking about his uh, his friend that you know took over this building and make coffee shop out of it. And he said offended by that, or he said scandalized by that. And aren't, we, aren't we supposed to be taking a stand against this stuff? But then he went on to show that the impact of what had happened there, as well as he had made it widely known who he was and what he was about, even up until the point that he welcomed those uh, those AIDS people in, and you know their their um, scandalous artistry and all that stuff. Yeah, he said he didn't protest. Well, uh, in that instance, I thought it, I was pleasantly thought of the fact that people outside the church had certain judgments against that man uh -huh. that he would rail against the AIDS paintings and stuff like that for that art show. And, uh, so he basically showed them who he was not. Yeah. And showed them that their judgments were wrong, even though they may have been vocal about it. He knew what they were thinking. And, and, and I got the impression in the video, and the point is when you do that, you're making yourself approachable mm -hmm. to represent Christ in the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's what he did with the neighbor. Yeah. She kept wanting him them to be scandalized, and they wouldn't. And all of a sudden the door opened because... You know, they weren't protesting outside her front house for her he behavior. Made, he made a real strong point on that. And, and, and I, I like to probably put this up on the board. Forgiveness is genius, mm -hmm. radical, and excruciating. So the key is learning to forget. Yeah, it's radical, it's excruciating. Uh, Jim? Genius. Genius? Oh, and then Ted. I'm sorry. Let's go Ted and then Jim. Sorry, he was first. Yeah, just, for a second. Just on the, the this idea with the with the AIDS 
group coming in is that uh, to remember that Jesus went and ate with the publican. And my mind went straight to that story when I was hearing that. That uh, he didn't agree with them, but his answer was, "I'm here for the sick, not for the healthy. I'm here for the for for the unrighteous, not for the righteous." You can't be doing that. You shouldn't be there. See, but that <clears throat> to me is a key point that Ted just brought up. He was there, but he made it clear that he was there to minister to the sick. He wasn't afraid to call those people sick or sinners or whatever. And that's where, you know, the guy that opened his building for the AIDS people, you know, showing the love and the caring is great. But I hope that it was clear to everybody that as a Christian, I don't support homosexuality, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to, you know, condemn or, well, condemn the act, but I'm not going to throw these people out. They know I where I stand, and they know how I love. I think it's important, yeah. though, that we too often, it's so easy for us to say, oh, well, I'm not going to judge, or I'm not going to condemn those people, or whatever. Jesus ate with the sinners, but he also let them know that they were sinners. Because he loved them. Because mm -hmm. he loved them, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I fear that too often, it's too easy to not take the chance of being offended, offendable, or the offender. Yeah, that's, words, that's a good point. We're, we're so afraid of offending them exactly. that we're not truthful. Exactly. That's a good point, I think. Yeah. Well, also, his behavior towards them by welcoming their, their exhibit, he opened the door for conversation with them. Uh -huh. And if he had not done that, there never would have been a door open. So evidently, at the very beginning, we know who you are, we know what you stand for. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're leaving. So evidently that was clear to them. I'm sorry, Jim had his hand up, and then we'll go to Benita. You had, you're, you're pointing somewhere else, huh? Finish your thought. Um, I just forgot it. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think we can not. We can not like the act or something. Like I, I, I'm not wanting to be in a room with a murderer, but you know, at the same time, if I don't know that, I'm going to treat the person hopefully the same, whether they are or aren't. And so that's it's kind of a, a fine line to. Jump lockdown but the thing that stood out to me was treat all people the same yeah but that what that one guy said yeah he treats everybody the same okay so like we had benita and then i see your hand moving over here no you're right well, i think it's important that our list is jesus and after jesus then when someone comes to him they have the ability to start fixing everything in their life and finding out all that. You can't you, you sit there and go, okay, you can't, you don't have the power to defeat sin before you have Jesus. So if we're sitting there telling everybody what they've got to get right, then 
they don't have the power to do that. So they understand how they're loved and who Jesus is. So, so I how, know our message can, can't be you've got things, you know, you, you can't come to him and come to us yet. We've got to get that door open into their heart, yeah. or you know, bridge, build that bridge. Angela? Yes. And if you keep in and you are put in a position of humility that allows you to forgive. If you said if you repent, you're put in the position of humility. humility yes. That allows you to forgive. So when I acknowledge my own sin, I am a sinner. That's humility and you're not looking at everyone's yeah. sin. Humility. And you're able to Yeah, just to have having a quality and a character of humility, um, to understand my own brokenness, my need for repentance, um, it opens the door for me to to be received by others who are broken. Yeah, <coughs> Jeff. I'm struggling with uh, how can you be unoffendable without judging? Because you. You recognize that that we're we're, we're 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 messed up. All of us are, but that's still a judgment. So I think I think, and I've got a lot of smart people in here, smarter than me. I think we we sometimes we get stuck on what we mean by that. Uh, that's why we struggle with First Corinthians five and Jesus in Matthew seven. Don't judge. No, you need to judge. What do we mean by that? I believe here. What, what, what did he mean by this? He, he referenced a verse. Do you remember what it was? He referenced a passage. First Corinthians 4. Yeah. Five. Yeah. What, what, and so what was that verse saying? That's a really interesting passage. The passage, if you, if you read First and Second Corinthians, especially Second Corinthians, there were some critics of Paul. There were some people who were constantly criticizing Paul and putting him down. That was not, they didn't start with the first, second letter. That was also a struggle earlier. And so there in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, he says, um, well, I'm sorry, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I apologize for that. Y'all should expect that of me, shouldn't you? Okay, we're going we're gonna, to, since your preacher is so Pitiful. We're gonna hear. Oh, it's written in the book. There you go. Now this is this is my pet student right here. She brings her book to class. All right, go. As for myself, I do not care if I am judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I know of no wrong I have done, but this does not make me right before the Lord. The Lord is the one who judges me. So do not judge before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness and will make known the secret purposes of people's hearts. Then God will praise each one of them. That's interesting. That's not a passage. She said we memorize. We don't talk about that, but that's that's packed, isn't it? What's there? What's the point? How is I think that's what he's meaning here. We're not supposed to judge people's motives. Because we don't know them. He said that, yeah, because you don't even know your own. You don't even know your own. And we get offended by people because we have a good, clear understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. And we don't have a good, clear understanding of why they're doing 
what they're doing. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing. God is, and so we leave that with Him. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean we don't understand right and wrong. If that if judgment means understanding right and wrong, I don't think that's what it means. I think I just think it means I can't read into Fred's heart, and therefore reach a conclusion he's offended me because of this. Maybe I, you know, um, let's I may see. Not know my heart, but if my action is blatantly sinful. You can see, but what's know that. so the yeah? So what's the backstory behind Fred? Uh, uh, in in the book, are we aware of just how actually we know about other people? We have no idea what is in someone else's heart. We don't know their backstory. What's driving that? So um, clearly, something on the outside is wrong. But I think that's what Jesus had the ability to see what was on the outside, but to know what was on the heart on the inside, and therefore he reacted more with compassion. Uh, yeah, I wrote these notes down from the book. God knows others' private motives. We don't. God knows our private motives. We don't. We think we can judge others' motives. We're wrong. Now, if they tell you, I'm doing this. Um, and so he writes in here, surrender the idea that we know others' motivations and spiritual temperature. Surrender the idea that we know what is in people's hearts. Realize that most people have backstories that I don't know. Um, then he asked this question, how do I assess the spiritual temperature of people? How do I determine where they stand with God? He says, I don't. Now, that doesn't mean I don't see what I see, but I don't know into their hearts. Maybe that helps me to be not so overly reactive and offended. Um, so I, well, I happened to read this book this week. And Did you? Uh, not this book. I just thought it was one. But, um, oh. <laughs> the point is, is that like Paul was a murderer, and so like only God, God can judge what's in people's hearts. And seeing that, like he could see that this is a sinful thing, and he changes. I don't know, I don't know how to articulate it, but a lot of bad things, a lot of prophets weren't perfect. Yeah, no one is. And, and because of Paul's past and the forgiveness he received. That helped position him to be a man of graciousness and compassion and not carrying around a hammer. That doesn't mean he didn't call out sin, because uh, he did. But yeah. You got a hand back here? I was just going to say, not judge. I mean, we're supposed to, the fruit examiner, not judges. And we can say, okay, well, somebody's fruit is not great, but that doesn't mean that I'm not really. Just as simple as they are. Because like he points out in the book, if I've ever hated, then I've murdered. Yeah. That's true. Um, there is someone that has deeply, has come against me in a way that I could get very offended by. But I'm not offended, and this is a true story, because I realize there's a stack of stuff that's going on in their lives and they're just spilling over, and I happen to be close by. Uh, not excusing it, not saying we don't need to do something about it, but it helps me uh, to help them, I guess you might say. Um, any other points there, and then we'll, we'll kind of... Thank you. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> One of his last comments was, he used no need to comment. Say that again, I'm so no sorry. No need to comment on everything. Uh, if, we're to be the light of the world, but we don't have to shine the light on somebody by commenting on what they've done. 
we teach by our, our actions. So when we walk into a room and we comment on something, uh, we're pointing them out, we're already at odds. When we comment on it, make a comment. About what you're doing, I don't think it's right. Well, I've already set us apart, haven't I? If I do that. Does the time ever come when we do identify it and speak I, about I it? I think so, but we can, people see how we live and by our yeah. actions, tell them that that's not me, I, will, I don't do that. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's what you're getting at. That's not maybe our, our, our icebreaker into a relationship with them. That's not the first, you want to build trust in a relationship and then when they're broken, they want you to pray with them like that woman did, Fran. I'm just thinking about an experience that I had years ago. Uh, I went to a convention in Chicago and I wanted to go to church. And I found out where the church was meeting in the downtown Chicago. And I walked in, I walked down the street and the only thing that was there was the porno theater. And, and I said, well, that's not the church. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I uh, walked past it, finally checked everything. This is the place where I'm supposed to be. And it turned, you know, well, they have these tall buildings. So like on the ground floor, there is actually a porno theater there, but the church was meeting on like the fifth or sixth floor. And when I walked, I, but I'm sure if somebody there goes Fran, <laughs> I mean, because they had you know advertising pictures and all that. Wow! Stuff. Oh wow! So I think a really important point that he made is is consider that you could be wrong. Yeah. You're predisposed to think certain things, but you know, you're predisposed to think that somebody that walks in the porno theater is going to the porno. In show. humility, realize yeah. you don't know everything. You, 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 exactly. you, may, you may have miscalled that. Now I'm offended and I'm upset over what Fran did. Do you all realize where she goes? And Eddie, you don't know where she was going. Well, many, many times Jesus didn't confront somebody until they said something like, Lord, what must I do? Or how how do I act here? And that's when Jesus then would reply. And I think that's many times we get the cart before the horse and uh -huh. try to go in and shove this down their throat when we have no relationship uh -huh. with them to do that. And, and Jesus' example is to reply when they ask. Right. Good point. Rick? I think his last point was the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. Practice, practice, practice. Uh -huh. Like, I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you. Get up every morning and say, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Oh. We talk a lot about how we react to other people and their sinful nature, our sinful nature. How can I delicately approach you showing my Christian love and letting you know where I stand. And it's all, this is almost all the conversation so far has been one-on-one, -on -one. but how do we respond in general when we're talking about a culture, a culture that's in such decline, and we just sit back and say, that's the world, this is us in the church here. Or do we have, when do we speak up? When do we say something that's, some of us are going to come across as hate speech and we're going to be put down for it. But do we just keep
keep our mouth shut and keep acting loving but don't do anything to help change then that's not loving right right how, how do how do I change your bad ways, Eddie? <laughs> but Jesus got out on the streets. Yeah. He got out on the streets. He went in the homes. He sat down and ate with people. And he brought brought the good news of the kingdom to those individuals. Um, and then he he was most confrontational with the church-going people, which is very interesting. Tim? Well, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is the only time he confronted a group, it was... The Pharisees. The church going uh, folks, yeah. Right. And when whenever he confronted sinners, it was always one on one. Yeah. Uh I, I I don't I, I, I think also it's just a I don't have a problem publicly making a statement about something that's wrong, but there's there's a way in which you do it. Um so I'll I'll make a few comments here and then we'll wrap up, but I don't want to take away that shy person who's getting ready to say something. So many of you after class come up and say stuff to me. And go, Why didn't you say that in class? That's an awesome comment. So um, raise your hand while I'm talking. But have um, understanding human nature. And, and in the book, he just says, it's just really neat when you read, you see Jesus. He's not scandalized. He's not freaking out and shocked all the time. Because there's two passages, and he made reference to him in Luke 5. He, he knows what people are thinking. In, in John chapter 2, we looked at Jesus in the temple last last time and his zealous response as it's defined there um and it says he he, he knew all oh, men he understood what people is what people are like and so a big part of being undefendable is knowing the human heart for what it is and realize uh we're in a broken world i'm a broken person even in the church we have broken people that is not like what you were saying, well, let's we'll just have to accept it for what it is. But understanding that helps me know how to perhaps reach out to them. There's there's three examples I thought of that helped me. Uh, I thought, I kind of do that already. Sometimes when somebody comes to me and they say, um, this was said or that was said, my first question is, who said that? Tell me the source. And when I'm told the source, I go, oh, well, yeah, of course they said that. That I know them. Uh, they're all, you know. So, so, who did that? Who said that? Oh, it was a human. That's just the way humans are. There's, there's a. Uh, that's not excusing it, but it's helping me cope and not freak out and live hypersensitive. There are times when I say, I've said many, many times, and I think this applies. Um, the greatest problem that the church has is the church has people. If we could just get rid of the people, then the church would be just absolutely wonderful. I think my point is, where you have people, you're going to have such challenge. That's just human nature, even within the church. And I think of myself, and I think we as the disciples of Jesus, we should think of ourselves and think of perhaps the church as more of a, um, an emergency room and think of our world more like a world of wounded people in a battle and we're medics and when you go into an emergency room you don't expect good behavior you expect brokenness you expect crying you expect hurt you expect blood and um, um, and you get hurt I get hurt by people that I try to help 
but that's where we are. We're, that, that's, that actually motivates me. So maybe instead of being offended and turned off, so this is why Jesus came and died because of what is happening. And, and I'm an ambassador of that. Um, and then another, and then I, Benita, I, 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 um, I was just going to say that this doesn't excuse behavior. It doesn't make it right, but it helps me not leave the church. <laughs> when I realize we're people. So I'm still here. Uh, I, I'm not excusing behavior, but and I have I have a realistic, but I have a hopeful, a hopeful goal for people to change, and and that's what drives me to it, because I see the change needed in me and in the world. Benita, I think one of the key things too is to realize I'm I'm also wounded. Yes. So when I'm react offended or hurt to something that probably does not. It doesn't rise to the level of my reaction. But then identify a wound you have that you need to bring to God to position to heal it. So you're not reacting to people's actions. Yeah, it's not just understanding their human nature, but ours. Yeah, so we talked about, we talked about this one. Um, realize you may not know everything. <laughs> you don't know everything. Don't be so quick to impulsively respond. And real, uh Realize you don't know the human hearts. Then he said this. He said, learn to forgive. Let's, let's do this in the remainder of our time. Let's cover forgiveness in the next three minutes. Um, <laughs> as well. Yeah, and there's another great point in the book he makes, and I'm talking to you to shut up. What is forgiveness? What is it? Because that's, that's really the big key here. How would you define forgiveness? Letting go of the pain. Letting go of pain? Boy, that's hard. Letting go of pain. What is forgiveness? Denying yourself. Oh, that's the way he said that. Deny yeah, yourself. You're not going to hold this against them. Myself wants to. Wiping the slate clean. Wiping the slate clean. He says, giving up my right to hold anger against someone. And he asked the question, can you forgive someone and still be angry at them? Yeah. I forgive you, but I'm angry at you still. Sometimes it takes a little time to let go of the anger. When God forgives you, does he remain angry at you? I want to learn to forgive like God forgives. Oh, yes. Quickly and fully. Great point. Yeah, that's, that's what we're shooting for. The holiness and perfection of God. Nothing short of that. Uh, that's what Jesus says. He says, when your enemies do this, pray for them. Be perfect as your heavenly Father. That's, that's where we're headed towards. Is God makes no compromise in how we should behave. Um, why, uh, why is forgiveness in the Greek just go straight to what it means? It means to let it go. To send it away. Um, and that's what, um, what's her name? Taylor Swift had in mind when she wrote the song, Shake It Off. Just let it go. You gotta let it go. That's literally what it means in the Greek. Benita? She said Turkhurst. Yes, yes. She she said one thing in a podcast I was listening to that really helped me because she said a lot of times she would forgive the act and then there would be other times that that she felt like she hadn't forgiven, but it wasn't she hadn't forgiven that act, but she had had to go and forgive some consequences again of the act that keep happening, you know, okay. You have this act, but then she's got to forgive because this consequence today that wasn't what she had 
had to give in the past. I don't know if that makes sense, but I sometimes think we can feel guilty about, oh, I didn't forgive, but I'm like, well, I didn't forgive that, but now I've got to forgive this, and then I've got to forgive this, because a lot of really deep acts against you are not, you've got the consequences of the act plus the act. Yeah, her story is painful. Yeah, I, oh I thought that was very interesting to think that, you know, sometimes we think we're, we're not forgiving when we did, we just got to forgive again. And so, oh, that, that sets the stage for, oh, how many times do you do that? <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, we can talk about that. Jeff? You forgive the act of the person. I just think what Stephen said when he was being stoned. Goodness, yeah. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So, yeah. Why is, why is it so hard? Larry, and then I want you to answer, why is forgiveness so hard? That's what he says. It's excruciating. But you have... You said be generous and offer to give, forgive up to seven times. Yeah. <laughs> and after that. Why is it so hard? Why is forgiveness so hard, Benita? I, I think one time when I had forgiving something that was very big, and I realized that I was had only forgiven 95%, but the part of me didn't give that last 5% because I said that that wasn't right. So it's almost like you get the feeling yeah. when you're young that you're, if you forgive everything, you're saying it was okay. Yeah. And that giving that up, you're not saying it's okay. You're saying you're forgiven. I think that's what stopped me a little bit. If we're okay, then forgiveness wouldn't be a place. Wouldn't be necessary anyway. Why is it so hard to forgive, Tim? I think in when truly, how do I even start this? I think a lot of times in in true situations where you know I've been wrong. I'm not talking about the guy cuts me off in traffic or you know. A, the, what I see on the evening news, but you know when when somebody wrongs me, especially when it's somebody that's close to me, I feel violated. I feel feel wounded. You know, like I had that metaphorical knife stuck in me. You know, it takes a while to to heal from that because I I didn't expect it from that person. Yeah, it's hard. Oh, okay. We're not finished talking about forgiveness. Clearly, as a matter of fact. In another video, there's a chapter that accompanies, and the whole chapter nine, if you want to read it, it it's it's on forgiveness, and it speaks into what we're talking about because we haven't really completely finished what is forgiveness, why is it so hard, and what does he say is the perspective we should have in order to be forgiving, and the simple answer he gives, which simple answer is just look at how God has forgiven you, and that's really interesting in that passage in Colossians we looked at last week. He says, anger. It's the earth of the earthly nature, put it to death. God's allowed it in that passage. And then he gives a response to it. He says, treat others in the way that God has treated you with compassion and forgiveness. Um, so we, ha we haven't finished talking about that. And another really neat in the book we'll talk about is learning to practice rest. I think one of the reasons why... <clears throat> we get so easily offended is because we're already living a life that's got us on edge and we're just tied up on the inside because of the chaotic life we live and so somebody smiles and says hello and we just get upset because we're already a storm on the inside and he's got a really great chapter on learning to practice rest we're going to talk about it somewhere let's pray <clears throat>
Father, again, we, we didn't finish this conversation, but I'm okay with that because you, Holy Spirit, are going home with each one of us. You're taking this conversation. You're taking these scriptures that we um, received tonight, and I pray that you will work with them within us to shape and form us to be more and more like you as you have been to us that we can be to others. We seek that, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.